Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter three. We're gonna study the entire chapter this morning. The Bible under the chair, it's page 380. And if it's on your phone, you do not have to look at pages. Ecclesiastes chapter three. My name is Sam, I'm one of the elders here at Ridgeview. Ecclesiastes chapter three. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So I, or I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart that with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Let's ask God for aid. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes 
God, you are the only one that can open eyes. And when you open our eyes, we behold wonderful things from your, from your word. And there are wonderful things in this passage, but it is very hard. So help us, Father. Help me to be clear. May you be exalted. May I decrease. Help us to understand what you have to say from your word. And may we worship you when we see it. Help us to see it. And help us to worship you when we see it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. What gain does the worker have from his toil? And who can bring man to see what will be after him? It's two questions in this passage which help us identify the heart of the message, the purpose. I think if we understand the answers to those two questions, we'll understand the passage more clearly. The first one, that what gain has the worker in his toil? That is a foundational question throughout the, heart of, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And verse 22, who can bring man to see what will be after him? That's a really specific question, I think, to this passage, though it does get addressed later. So if, if we do this, I think um, we, we, we need to understand our purpose in life, first in relation to what God, uh, who, who God is to God, and in relation to what he has done. And the goal is to, to see who he truly is. How big God is. We need to see how, good, how big he is through what he has done. And in comparison, you're gonna see, Lord willing, how small you are. And then respond. Respond in reverent worship. Fear, not hatred and despair. Because Solomon, the preacher, he's offering a clarification, I think, to what he has already said specifically in verses, chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. And if you weren't here last week, you should go and listen to the, what Pastor Mike preached last week to, for, for clarification and even read that. Um, but the, the gist is that life is a breath. Life is vanity. It, go, it comes and it goes very quickly. And if you pursue every pleasure and task under the sun, you, keep, you can keep pursuing it. But if you try and find meaning in it, if that's the end, the, the, the pursuit, you are going to come to the end of the life and see that pursuit fade because you're gonna die. It's gonna go away. But he doesn't want you in in, in in seeing that life is a breath, he does not want you to hate life or to give your heart to despair. That's not the goal. So to help you avoid despair, he shows us what God does and how we should respond and react. So we're gonna look at four things God does and then we're gonna look at four responses to what he does. If you're taking notes, maybe that will be helpful. Number one, God establishes times and seasons for everything, and he gives business, he gives, the, gives it to the children of man for business to do in life. God establishes times and seasons for everything, and he gives that, he gives life, he gives all, everything for the children of man to be busy with in life. For everything, there is a season. 
and a time for every matter under heaven. And if you just read that verse, verse one, you might think that it is time that we look to to see our purpose, to understand um, our ways. But, but if you keep going on, you'll see that that's just where he's starting because it's God who has made everything beautiful in its time. Verse 11. So there is a time for everything, there is a season, and it is God who has made everything beautiful in its time. And in verse 17, there is a time for every matter and every work that God puts in place. God establishes times and seasons for everything. There's not a single thing in creation that is not under the hand of God. And, 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 and we, we, I know we say we believe that, but, but just, just the definition, creation and creator, right? If he's the creator, what is under him? The creation. And God is over it all. Creation, by definition, is under the hand of a creator, its creator. And he has made it beautiful, and he gives it to us. It says, go on here, he gives it for the children of man to be busy with. Verse 10, the business that God has given to the children of man. So yes, there are observable times and seasons for man to follow, but, but man can only follow the, them as created beings of the time and season maker. So God has placed you in the world to live according to his set times, the things that he has set, his times and his seasons. And, and now ask yourself, is that comforting? I think sometimes we have varied responses. So for example, you may quickly say yes, but just consider that God has placed you in a world for all of his times and seasons in this life under the sun, in this fallen world. Not only good times and good seasons, which is typically the way we, we say, well, yes, God has placed the good things in life but the hard things, God is not over those things. That's something else. Solomon is offering a view of the world which kills naivety. He doesn't want you to be naive. Scoffers are gonna look at Christianity and they're gonna, or you, maybe you've been asked this before, and, and they'll say, you're foolish. The only reason you are a Christian is because you're blind to what actually is happening out there. You haven't lived enough. You haven't seen what I've seen. You haven't seen how hard life is under the sun. And if you had, you would never believe that God could exist in a world or be over a world full of the suffering, the loss that I've seen. And to that, a Christian should respond, no, I'm not naive. I live in the same world as you, and here's the biblical worldview. Death, killing, breaking, weeping, mourning, casting, refraining, embracing, losing, tearing, silence, hate, war, are times and seasons handled by and governed by and placed in this fallen world by God. That is God's work in the world as described in the Bible, all of life 
is governed by our God. Now, some of those things from that list, you know, I, list, I tried to list some of the bad-sounding ones. Now, now you're, you're going you're gonna, to um, quickly see that not all those things that I listed are bad things. Mothers with screaming children do not see silence as a bad thing. And I think that's the point. God has made them all, and they are all perfect in its time. All things have their purpose in God's time and, and, and according to its appropriate season, which God has put in place. Not one item in that, that poem, verses two and eight that's a, through eight, that's a poem that, that Solomon wrote. Not one of them is inherently evil, unredeemable, or unuseful. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Not a single event or occurrence in the history of the world. There is not one that God is not over. He's not God over some things and not God over other things. He's never been surprised, unaware, uncertain, unknowing. He judges evil and righteous alike. He decides. He decides. Man, so here we are, just to feel small for a moment. Man, so we're placed in God's world, God's world. God makes the rules. Man is only in a place of needing to respond to God. Man makes no rules. Man does nothing but manipulate. That's all we do. That's all we do. We either take what God has done and live reverently under him, or we seek to manipulate what God has done and made in order to make ourselves God. But still, everything God made is beautiful in its time. That is the great failure of man, to look at what God has made and either reject him, we don't like some of the times and the seasons, we reject him or we defy him by trying to do things, uh, also by doing things out of time. So God makes the times and seasons. He sets man in the world to live according to his times and seasons. Number two, God has put eternity into man's heart. How? <laughs> what a verse. Verse 11. How? He has, I think, by making things for us to observe and do and by ordering the things that he makes. I think that's, that's a couple ways I think uh, that are apologetics for proving that God has put eternity into your hearts. He, he makes things for us to be able to observe and do and he, and he orders things. He creates and he sustains. So he makes, he does things for us to observe. Specifically, the times and the seasons. He made the world in order for us to live and observe it will be on the screen, but Romans 1, 19 through 20 shows us that God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God makes things, we can observe them, and we can ask the logical question, who made that? Who did that? 
And we do this all the time in life, right? Carrying dinner, somebody brings a good dessert. What do you ask after you eat it? Take a bite. Who made that? Unless it's that cherry cheesecake, which you know Juanita made. Who made this? It's good. Who scrawled the crayon on the wall? When you hear beautiful music, Siri, who sings this? Creation speaks of a creator. And, and, and I don't want you to hear that just because you've probably heard that before. But creation really speaks of a creator. If you are a logical person, even if you believe in God, or you don't believe in God, and you believe you're formed from stardust that exploded 14 billion years ago, if you believe that, you're naive if you do not ask and do not wonder, because everyone does, who made the dust? Who caused that all to happen? It's not satisfying to try and just find an origin. There's an originator to created things. Even if, you, even if you, you, you look at that and you say, well, that's unknowable. It's an, they'll call your, your, your logical question illogical and say, I can't search that answer out because we cannot test. Absolutely, I would agree. It is unknowable unless it's revealed. Unless it's revealed. But you cannot deny the longing of your heart, the longing, if you're serious, to ask yourself, who made that? Why am I here? Not only that, he creates, but he creates and he sustains. Verses 14 and 15 show us this. I perceive that whatever God does, it endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. God has done it. God has done it. That, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. God seeks what has been driven away. A season comes and a season go, and as soon as that season go, God is chasing that season to make sure it comes back again. God sustains. And this is another thing that we just take for granted and, and assume, but you know that it must be governed because ungoverned things fade away. Even the things you govern fade away. But ungoverned things fade away. Who's keeping the seasons in line? Who's keeping things in order? Who's ensuring that the sun will rise? I've spent a lot of time gardening this spring because I enjoy that. Um, a couple weeks ago, I laid down some mulch. And then... Last week, I laid down some more mulch, and the first thing my wife said when she saw the two um, mulches next to one another, she said, wow, that really fades. The old mulch was fading, and if I didn't water it, if I didn't water the plants, if I wasn't there, there's no garden. Ungoverned things fade away. Why is the sun still rising? Why does the summer come? God is governing it. He is making sure it will continue. You can observe it in your life. Ungoverned things fade. Number three, God judges, or God is the judge, or maybe simply put, God is the decider. You wanna feel small? God is the decider over your life. It's his world. 
When man defies God, God sees. God knows. God is not fooled by the face you put on. He sees. He knows. We see an example of this in verses 16 through 17. Moreover, I saw under the sun... So that's, that's the word in, in Ecclesiastes for in this fallen world, in a sinful world, in the world where things die, that in the place of justice, so justice is supposed to reign, God is just, even there was wickedness. Man's doing wickedness when there's supposed to be justice. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, where righteousness should reign, man's doing wickedness. I think that's a little bit of a, an aside, a little bit of a let's step back and see how life really is moment for, for Solomon to share with us. So where there should be righteousness, there is wickedness. Where there should be justice, there is wickedness. And, and, and here is where I think we get a good biblical definition of what sin really is. Because we talk about sin. We believe that sin exists. There's sin living in everyone. Sin is anything done Anything you do, you do outside of God's time. There is a time for everything. There is a time for everything. However, when you order your life in opposition to God's times and seasons, you are sinning. The things that he has been made for the times and the seasons, when you disregard that, you are rebelling against God. So sin is by definition twisting and manipulating the beauty that God has made, the perfect time and the perfect season. It's the making crooked, if you were here last week, the making crooked of, of God's um, creation, of God's, of God's purposes. I'm not speaking about seasons and defying them in terms of like building a greenhouse so you can plant plants over uh, wintertime. That's not the type of defying that I'm speaking of. I'm talking about killing out of time and loving out of time and speaking out of time and mourning out of time and dying out of time and laughing out of time, making peace out of time, hating out of time. We defy God when we defy his revealed, the things that he has made with their revealed seasons and purposes. That is the nature of sin. When you give your heart and your body to the love of another that is not your spouse, you're loving out of time. When you rage against your children for accidentally spilling his or her milk, you are warring out of time. When you are given a chance to share the hope of Christ, and you do not speak, you are keeping silence out of time. When, you, when people you love leave and you do not mourn, and you laugh instead, you're laughing out of time. There is a time to mourn. How do you know when it's the appropriate time or season for something? How do you know? How do you know good from evil? How do you know justice from injustice? How do you know righteousness from unrighteousness? The main response from the passage that Solomon gives, if there is an answer, it's that it has to be revealed by God. 
God has to reveal it to you. That's about as far as Solomon is willing to go. God is the judge, he must reveal it. And God is the tester, that's the fourth. God tests. I said in my heart, this is verse 18, I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. And then he goes on, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so the other. They all have the same breath and, and man has no advantage over the beast. All is vanity. All go to one place. And I think the purpose of that is to show us that everybody dies. You don't have any more advantage over your dog in terms of eternity. You're dying. Your dog gonna die, you're gonna die. God, he's not testing in a mean or evil way, and I think the ESV, the, the word test there, um, I, if, if that is a helpful word, it's, it's more testing in terms of revealing, displaying, showing. He is, he is uh, testing in the sense of giving you the grace to see that you're not God. He's showing you that you're gonna die. He's in the seasons of life that come and go and you see that you're, you're, you're maybe young now or, or maybe you're old now and, 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 and that, that wheel keeps on turning. You're gonna die. You are not eternal. He's putting you in a position. As, as his created beings, you are under him. He's putting you in the position to see that you are finite like the beasts and he is eternal unlike anything else. Don't put yourself on the same plane as God. Now there's four responses to apply, I think, from this passage. Four responses you, you should have. First, you should see what God has done. And I think they're, they're right here for us to see. You should see what God has done. See that he has made everything beautiful in his time. See that he has given you work to be busy with in this life rather than hating life, rather than giving your heart up to despair, take pleasure. See those things that he has given you. See, see those things that he has offered you in life. We all know that we're offered things in life. The things that Solomon earlier in chapter two pursued and found breath because he's still gonna die. God has given us, in a sense, those things that we can take pleasure in them that we can rejoice in what he has given. We are not called to be despairing when you, you know, realize that you're finite, realize that you're going to the grave just like the beasts. Do not give your heart to despair. See God's work as a gift. He does not want you to despair of all of life. He wants you to thank God for what he has given you see the beauty that he has made. Because to despair is to reject. To despair is to, to reject God. To hate life is to hate what God has made. But to enjoy life with all its breath, it is a form of reverence to God, or it's, it should be. Now hold that in, in, in context because we're gonna keep going here. Secondly, see what God is doing and fear him. See what God is doing and fear him. 
you cannot add or take away from or manipulate God. You, you, you cannot. You can try. It will come back around. So you're, if you see that God is the maker of all and God has placed you in the world and God has given you a task to do and that what God does is forever. It's what, he, what he has done lasts forever. It's a great grace to see and fear. To see and fear him. Fear this God. Do not be defiant. If you're not scared enough, Deuteronomy 32, 39, or fearful enough, reverently realizing you're under his domain. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, this is what God is speaking to Israel. See now that I am he, even I, I am he. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Have a healthy fear of God. And you will be judged by God. So fear him. Ponder him. The gavel is coming down. Very, really, very truly. And whatever comes out of his mouth in regard to you, it's standing. You can't argue it. You can't argue your case before God. What he says goes. He will either judge you righteous or wicked, guilty or innocent. Do you have a healthy fear of this God? And third, see what God does and long for him. Long for him to intervene. Long for eternity. Long for his revelation. And this is a, yeah. Verse 22, who can bring man to see what will be after him? So Solomon leaves you with, with a perplexing question. Eternity is in my heart. The longing for something more, the the longing for the things that you cannot see and even the things that you can't see, if you're honest with yourself about life, the rhythms and patterns, you, you can't fully perceive. You can see, but you can't fully perceive what God has done from beginning to end. You're not able in God's created universal order to see what will be after you. And so we long in order for you to see and experience eternity, you need divine intervention. God must reveal it to you. You cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end, to end by watching a plant grow or holding your baby or laughing or loving or dancing. You can only know that those rhythms, through those rhythms that you are very small, he is very great, he has made you, you're the creation, he's the creator. You need intervention. It's the only way you as a finite being can find um, rest in the reality of an infinite God. And number four, you will find that rest. You will find that intervention when you see what God has done in Christ. We sang of it this morning. Galatians 4, 
4 through 5 says, but when the fullness of time had come, in his perfect plan, in his perfect time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that you might receive adoption as sons. The God, the God who is outside of time, unknowable, he stepped into time and space in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was born, he took on humanity. He healed, he broke down, he built up, he wept, he mourned, he embraced, he sought, he lost, he loved, he hated, he cast away, he kept, he spoke marvelous things. Who speaks like this guy? He was silent, he didn't open his mouth and defend himself. He died on a bloody cross. He tore the temple curtain in two as he breathed his last. He sewed together white robes of righteousness for his saints. He made peace between God and man by the blood of his cross. And he will one day make war and kill with the sword of his mouth. Jesus, the eternal God, perfectly, joyfully lived the times and seasons of life that he created. He did it to the fullest. He did it above and beyond. He entered time and space for a purpose. He is the revealed bridge between the finite, you and me, and the infinite God. This is why as a Christian, we point people to Jesus. When we say, do you want to know God? Look to Jesus. Do you want to see God? Look to Jesus. Do you want the eternal desires of your heart fully satisfied? That longing in your chest? Look to Jesus. He's the path, his perfect life. It's proof of that, 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 that the longing in your heart can be satisfied. You don't need to look any longer. You don't need to look any longer for something more when you find Jesus. He suffered injustice for your sake. He died on the cross paying for your sin. All of that twisting and all of that turning and all of that mess that you have done, breaking God's perfect perfection. And he rose again. And that resurrection is proof that he has bridged your access to the eternal God. He is the proof, the evidence that in Christ, if your hope is him, in him, you will rise. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? God can, and Jesus has. Do you believe that? Will you, if you don't? Do you believe that he will satisfy the longing of your heart? That he is the treasure? He is the true purpose offered to you? Throw your life on him. 
and you will grasp the eternal. What grace. If you do this, the God whom you fear, whom you should fear, whom you should rightfully fear, will become the God you reverently praise and worship forever. He is very big. He, and you are very small, I am very small, and he has done a great work. He has not only created you to live in the times and the seasons of this world to see that he is big, he has intervened in Christ and offers a great salvation. God is big, he's your only hope. So let's take pleasure, take pleasure in what God has done. Let it be an act of worship. In Christ, it's an act of worship, it can be an act of worship. Live in fear of him, God is big, you are very small. See his intervention in the person of Jesus. Look to Jesus, trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, God. The fullness of time, you sent forth your son to redeem us, to buy us back. What a great salvation. May we live in this life with the times, the things that you have made, with their times and seasons, God, may we, we live to the honor and praise of your name forever. In Christ's name we pray, amen.